Hey there, it's Vanessa. I'm hard at work on a brand new episode of Nocturne to be released in a couple of weeks. But in the meantime, I wanted to let you know about another show that I think you'll really like. So I decided to feature an episode here in the Nocturne feed. This story comes from 20,000 Hertz, a lovingly crafted podcast that reveals the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. The episode is called Sonic Bubbles, and it's about how humans have shaped our sonic environment. 20,000 Hertz has also done episodes about the music in human speech, spy messages on the radio, and the sounds of other planets. Subscribe to 20,000 Hertz right here in your podcast player and enjoy Sonic Bubbles now. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. It's your boy, right? It's the one who say listen to the music all the time. This is from the movie Baby Driver. It's kind of an action comedy about a group of bank robbers and criminals. The main character is a young getaway driver whose nickname is Baby. And the thing about Baby is that he's always wearing earbuds. So, um, what are you listening to? Uh, music. That's right, you tell him, baby. <laughs> baby has tinnitus, which is a condition where his ears are constantly ringing. To cope with it, he listens to music pretty much nonstop. But Baby's music does more than just drown out the ringing in his ears. It also helps him focus while he's pulling off mind-blowing car stunts and speeding away from the scene of a crime. Like Baby, I've also got a few go-to playlists that I turn on when I need to escape. If I'm feeling distracted and need to focus, I might put on some lo-fi hip-hop. If I'm frazzled after a long day, I'll put on some jazz. But it goes beyond just music. I also use a white noise machine to help me fall asleep at night. And when I'm traveling and the noise around me is just too much, I'll put on a pair of noise-canceling headphones. Technologies like these help us create our own personal sonic bubble. They all offer self-control through sound control. They help us control our own attention and the way we feel by controlling what we hear. Mac Haygood teaches media studies at Miami University in Ohio. He's also the host of another podcast about sound called Phantom Power. Mac recently released a book called Hush, Media and Sonic Self-Control. It explores the way we use technology to control our sonic environment. My book is about what I call Orphic Media. Orphic media are technologies that generate a safe space through sound. I name them after Orpheus, who in Greek mythology was the first poet. He was the first musician, the first teller of tales about the gods. And he also was on that famous trip to get the golden fleece with Jason and the Argonauts. In the story, Jason and the Argonauts are sailing to the edge of the world. Jason and the Argonauts encountered the Sirens, who were these bird-like women with these amazing voices, hypnotizing voices that would lure people into danger and death. And so when they encountered the Sirens, Orpheus protected himself and his fellow Argonauts by singing his own counter song. Orpheus created a kind of sonic shield. He drowned out the Song of the Sirens, which allowed his fellow Argonauts to safely pass by.
Orpheus used one sound to fight against another one. He relied on his voice. But in the real world, we use technology to do this for us. And we've been doing that for at least a century. Back in the 1920s, there was a science fiction writer named Hugo Gernsback. Gernsback kept getting distracted while he was trying to work, so he invented a device that he called the isolator. It was this huge, rounded helmet that completely covered your head. It had black eyes and honestly looked like something out of a horror movie. It looked like an old-fashioned diving helmet. It had a little slit for the eyes so that you could only see the line of text that you were trying to write and it blocked out external sound. And in fact, it covered your head so completely that you needed to use an oxygen tank in order to wear this thing. Fortunately, for everyone at the time, the isolator never caught on. But the noise that Gernsback was trying to get away from wasn't going anywhere. This was at a time when our cities were getting filled with factories and industrial plants and cars and new construction. And all of that machinery made noise. noise, which was sort of this industrial byproduct, it was something you didn't want, right? As the years went by, these noises kept piling up. We get these innovations like the jet airplane, the interstate highway system, the open plan office. All of these things amplify and proliferate noise. But there weren't just new sounds to avoid there were also new sounds to enjoy. We got used to mediated sound, like listening to records, or talking on the telephone, or listening to the radio. And as a result, people's relationship to sound changes, and we become these kind of sonic consumers. As sound became more important to our culture, we started coming up with creative ways to use it. Scientists started thinking in terms of using it productively, using it with a purpose. One of these innovations was the harnessing of white noise. White noise is made up of all of the possible frequencies that we humans can hear at equal loudness, which is roughly 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. So just like white is all of the different colors combined, white noise is sort of like all of these different frequencies combined. The first white noise machine was invented out of necessity. It was the early 60s, and a traveling salesman named Jim Buckwalter was on the road with his wife, Trudy. They were traveling, they were at a roadside motel, and the air conditioning was broken. And they were having trouble sleeping, not because they were too hot, but rather because there was a poker game going on in the next room, and they couldn't sleep because of the noise. The wife, she turned to her husband, and said, if that air conditioner was working, we'd be asleep right now. I bet you could invent something like that to make that sound. When they got back home, Jim went out to their garage and started working on a prototype. His goal was to replicate the hum of an air conditioner, but without the air part. In other words, it would be a sound conditioner. The device he came up with looked like a white plastic dome with a small fan inside. They plugged that thing in, and it made this pleasant whooshing sound. Buckwalter called his invention the sleep mate, and it was an overnight success. All their friends wanted one, and they wound up starting a business making these things. 
Well, this is really fascinating because this is something that I struggle with too. But what is happening in my brain that wants this so badly when I sleep? Because I, I can't sleep at all without some sort of consistent broadband noise. I'm very similar. And I think people like us who are pretty tuned into sound, many of us experience this. We use our ears all day long and then it's time to turn your ears off and go to sleep and your ears maybe don't comply, right? Yeah. The reason that this white noise is useful in that circumstance is that white noise is basically sound that's covering all the possible sounds that your ears could hear. Why do I have such a hard time with random noises in general? Like just hearing a creak in a house can kind of put me in a weird, almost adrenaline state. Why is that? Our auditory systems have evolved over time to aid us and to protect us and to be alert and ready for things. And it was probably pretty useful when we were sleeping outdoors on the savanna to be a light sleeper and be tuned in to sounds that are happening out there. So just because our physical circumstance has changed and we sleep in these quite safe houses, that doesn't mean that our auditory systems have completely changed in that way. The Sleepmate was inspired by a sound that was relatively new at the time, the air conditioner. But seven years later, an inventor named Irv Teibel took this idea even further, using sounds that were much older. So Teibel was the very first person to record the sounds of nature and actually market them as a relaxation tool. Teibel was a true Renaissance man of the 60s. At different times in his life, he was a musician, an engineer, a photographer, an advertiser, and a sound recordist. And he kind of put a lot of these different skills together in this project called environments. And so these were records. There were 22 of them in total. One side of the record would be one sonic environment, and you would flip the record over, and it would be a different sonic environment. To make his first record, Teibel recorded beaches around the world. But when he got home and listened to the tape, it sounded flat and uninspiring. So he took the tape to a friend who worked at Bell Telephone Labs. At the time, this was one of the few places where you could find an actual computer. Teibel and his friend used this early computer to edit and manipulate the recordings. They kept working until they felt like it captured the majestic sound and feel of the ocean. Teibel called this track the psychologically ultimate seashore. The album was a hit. One critic wrote, waves come splashing out of the speakers. After the success of his first album, Teibel kept releasing more. The second record included a track called Tendinabulation, a word coined by Edgar Allan Poe that means the sound of ringing bells. The third installment of Teibel's Environment series featured a recording of a big hippie gathering in San Francisco called the Human Bee Inn. 
Environments number four, side one, was the ultimate thunderstorm. And side two was gentle rain in a pine forest. In total, Teibel released 11 albums with 22 different soundscapes. He pioneered the nature sound trend that's still popular today. But as prolific as these albums were, the health claims that Teibel made about them were definitely a little eccentric. He called his records applied psychology devices in recorded form and said that they would counteract the damaging effects of noise pollution and that they would help users achieve alpha brainwave states of consciousness. They would help you read faster. He was talking about the idea of lying down on the floor with some friends and going on a mental trip just by listening to these sounds and even communing with your plants and helping your plants grow faster. This may sound pretty out there, but at the time, people ate it up. You have to remember, you know, this was the early 70s and still an era where people were into gurus and consciousness raising and LSD. And so Teibel was really picking up on all of this stuff and made a form of Orphic media that was for the hippie generation. But he wrapped all of this up in a little bit of pseudoscience. So it was a very 70s version of this kind of sonic practice. Teibel was clearly very passionate about the healing power of sound. And despite some of his more outlandish claims, some of what he said turned out to be true. Many studies have shown that the sounds of nature can calm down our nervous system and lower our heart rate. These sounds can also help our brain turn from inward thinking, like worrying, to outward thinking, like planning. Today, Teibel's records are still available on all of the main music streaming platforms. There's even a dedicated smartphone app just for these recordings. But nowadays, there are tons of apps that do this. And since the 70s, we've gotten a lot pickier about our nature sounds. You might think, well, rain is rain. But actually, people want the exact kind of rain that they have a really positive emotional, psychological association with. These app developers <laughs> get requests for every kind of rain you can imagine. People want rain on a tent, rain on a tarp, rain on a tin roof, rain on a slate roof. They want a big storm. They want a light drizzle. I had one guy tell me, if I have to make another kind of rain, I'm going to lose my mind. White noise machines and nature recordings set the foundation for many of our modern personal sonic bubbles. But since Teibel's time, we've invented all kinds of new ways to fight sound with sound. And soon enough, we might be able to control exactly what we want to hear every second of the day. That's coming up after the break. In the 20th century, as industry ramped up and our cities expanded, the world began to fill up with noise. To counteract this, we started coming up with new ways to create personal sonic bubbles to escape into. 
Early innovations, like the white noise machine and recordings of nature, helped us drown out the distractions of the modern world. But there was still much more to come. In the late 70s, we came up with an even more radical way to fight sound with sound. Noise-canceling headphones were invented in 1978 by Amar Bose of the famed Bose company, and Bose actually was on an airplane when he came up with the idea. The airline was offering headphones that people could plug into their armrest and listen to music. He's really been looking forward to this, and so he puts on some classical music. What he finds is that in order to overcome the noise of the jet engine, he has to turn up the sound so loud that it distorts the classical music that he was hoping to enjoy. And then he said to himself, there must be some way to separate things you want from things you don't want, to separate the sound of the airplane from the sound of the classical music. According to the story, Bose grabbed a cocktail napkin and started writing down equations for a noise-canceling system. His company invested lots of money and research into it, but for a long time, this technology was only available to pilots. And then, of course, it just took many, many, many years of development for the product to finally come out as a commercial product in the year 2000. Commercials for noise-canceling headphones often advertise your own sonic bubble to escape into. In one Bose commercial, a woman sits in a crowded cafe. But when she turns on the noise canceling, the people around her start to disappear. Soon, she's completely alone, so she can focus on her work. And that's how we get back to this Orphic media idea. Just like Orpheus was able to use sound to create a safe space for himself, that's what Bose latched onto with these noise-canceling headphones. They allow us to control sound so then we can be in control of our own feeling and our own environment. From Hugo Gernsback's creepy isolator helmet all the way to wellness apps and noise-canceling headphones, our ability to craft our own personal sonic bubble has come a long way. Today, we have so many options that go far beyond this. We can leave earbuds in all day that allow us to listen to music, talk on the phone, update our calendar, and even tell us what the weather looks like. These new technologies called hearables, they utilize noise cancellation. They can even amplify or process the external sounds around you. As wearable technology continues to develop, these devices have the potential to totally reshape our relationship with the sonic world. Pretty soon, we could all be wearing a high-tech headset that filters out any noise we don't want to hear. It could translate a foreign language into one that we can understand in real time. It could give us all kinds of dynamic information about our surroundings, like telling us the history of a particular building, or suggesting a nearby restaurant that it thinks we'll probably like. These are all things that are being developed. And so the dream here is kind of a complete control of your hearing. The cliche is that we have eyelids, but we don't have earlids. But hearables are these in-ear computers that could really become like earlids. And theoretically, you could never have to hear a crying baby on an airplane again.
My question is, do we really want that? Do we always need to be in our own personalized sonic bubble hearing precisely what we want? Or do we want to have space and openness for happy accidents to hear things that we don't even know we want? When we close ourselves off to the real sonic world, it comes at a cost. For example, taking a walk while you listen to music can be amazing, but it also takes away the sound of the robin, the neighbor's dog, and the community you live in. On top of that, wearing headphones also signals to people that you don't want to talk to them. I think it would be sad to be in a world where everyone just has their headphones on all the time, right? And I've seen this happen in my own classes as a college professor. Not very long ago, my students would come into class before class started and they would be sitting around and they would talk to one another, you know? They would strike a conversation. And that has really changed a lot over the past five years where now it's almost the norm to just look at your phone and not talk to anyone and have your headphones on. And you're kind of the weirdo if you try to strike up a conversation. And I find that kind of sad. When we take the time to really listen to the messy, complicated world, it can be uncomfortable, but it can also be really good for us. Just like Orpheus, sometimes we need a sonic bubble to shield ourselves from the chaos around us. But Orpheus did much more than that. We should remember that there were two sides to Orpheus. He was this character in Greek mythology who blocked out the sounds of the siren and protected himself and protected the Argonauts. But he was also this kind of musician priest figure who used sound to connect people. Sound has the power to connect us in ways that almost nothing else can. When people dance together at a nightclub or sing together in church, we're really coming together through sound. These sonic moments where people vibrate together and resonate together. That's what I love about sound, the way that it can do that. And that requires a certain kind of openness. As a sound designer and general audio geek, I'm really excited to experience all of these new technologies. But as a lover of sound in all of its forms, I also really hope that we can take it all in moderation. The real sonic world sounds amazing, and there's nothing like feeling the physical vibrations of our environment with our eardrums. Our brains need this. And I really don't want people to further isolate themselves and live their entire lives in a hyper-customized sonic bubble. So once this episode is over, take a few minutes to just listen to the world around you. Because whether it's a quiet road out in the country or a noisy street in the city, there is so much sonic beauty around us. And it's worth hearing.
20,000 Hertz is hosted by me, Dallas Taylor, and produced out of the sound design studios of DeFacto Sound. To get some tasty sonic inspiration, follow DeFacto Sound on Instagram or on YouTube. This episode was written and produced by Jill Bowerly and Casey Emerly. With help from Sam Reinbold. It was sound designed and mixed by Soren Bejan. In Jai Burger. Thanks to our guest, Mac Haygood. You can find his book, Hush, Media and Sonic Self-Control, wherever books are sold. And be sure to subscribe to Mac's podcast, Phantom Power, right here in your podcast player. A special thanks goes out to Lindsay Kesselman, who sang the siren voice in this episode, and to everyone else who submitted their voice. Also, a big thanks to Matthew Ramsey, the voice of Orpheus. Matthew is a vocal coach, and he hosts a great YouTube channel called Ramsey Voice Studio. If you have any interest in singing, be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening. That was Sonic Bubbles from the podcast 20,000 Hertz. Subscribe to 20,000 Hertz right here in your podcast player. A new episode of Nocturne is coming your way soon.